If you would remain standing for the scripture reading and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, John 1, 1 through 8, and following the reading of scripture, we will sing the Gloria Patri. John 1, 1 through 8. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him was not anything made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man sent from, John, sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light, but he came only as a witness to the light. Amen. As many of you know, uh, since the beginning of our church, I have always taken this particular Sunday to do a biographical sketch of one of the fathers or mothers in the faith of covered many different persons and through the years, um, sometimes the ladies of the Reformation. Uh, We don't worship them. Um, And a biographical sermon is not uh, an argument against the regular exposition of the, the Holy Scriptures. But there are so many Christians today who are blind to the heritage that we come to endure, uh, that they come to enjoy. There are many uh, Christians who get caught up in different errors because they have forgotten. They've forgotten the truths that have been handed down to us. And it's helpful for us to remember those things and to keep them in mind. And so the per- person I want to reflect on today for you, with you is uh, the person John Calvin. Uh, I have referred to him before. I have recollected his life in the past, but it's been 15 years. Uh, A number of you haven't been here, and uh, hopefully those that heard that uh, will have forgotten a few things. (laughs) But I've added some new ones. And I do want to say that um, you can just put your watches away I guarantee you I'm going past noon. (laughs) I have more than I can possibly give you today. And so I will cut it off at some point. But just if your alarms go off at noon, just know, ignore them. We're going. We're we're still going to be going. I once heard a preacher get up to preach a sermon and he quoted the verse from this text. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. John Calvin. Now, I might might not want to exactly do that myself, but at the same time, what John's role in the dark place was to to turn attention to the light of the world, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the same thing that's true in the life of this particular man. God sent him in a dark time in history to be a light to Christ, to give a light to him. Uh, he lived in a relatively out of place way, uh, out of place location in Geneva. Uh, his ministry was relatively short, only 28 years. He died at a young age, age 54. 
uh, we might think that he was, you might be mistaken to think that he was well-loved. He was actually well-hated throughout most of his life. I mean, obviously there were some that had an affection for him. Uh, Most people would consider him a fairly stern man, but as we'll see from different quotations, he was also very kind, gentle, compassionate, and well-loved. B.B. Warfield called John Calvin the theologian of the Holy Spirit. Now, our charismatic friends would scorn that uh, label, uh, but John Calvin Understood, there had much been written in the history of the church prior to him about the work of the Father and his uh, decreeing and sending his Son, the work of the Son and accomplishing redemption. But John Calvin understood the, the importance of, and he stressed as part of his reading, writing and his preaching, stressed the importance of the Holy Spirit applying those truths to believers. And it was his passion for the believer to understand the reality of the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, to get assurance of salvation and confirmation. Uh, Part of the criticism of him by our friends is because he didn't highlight the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit. He focused on those ordinary gifts. And there's something very significant about that. Sometimes as Christians, our Christian friends, sometimes Christians in the community, they want to have the dramatic gifts of the Spirit or the dramatic experiences in their life. And that's a real mistake. The power of the Holy Spirit, the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit is not at work primarily in the dramatic, but it's at work primarily in the ordinary. It's in the ordinary activities of your life where you see the power of the Holy Spirit at work. In your regular reading of the Word of God as the Holy Spirit takes that Word and lays it down in your heart. As you try to live as a a godly husband or father, you come to the preaching of the Word or come to the um, worship of God, it's the Holy Spirit at work through the ordinary it's a, a, a woman seeking to be a faithful wife and, a, and a, a mother. It's a young person seeking to be a godly student, a, a steward of their mind, a steward of their abilities, a steward of their gifts. It's in the ordinary part of our life where the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit is work and you as a believer can know that the Holy Spirit is at work in you and that's one of the passions he would have had for the people of God to understand that and know that Uh, one of my favorite or my favorite biography on Calvin is an an older one by a, a fellow by the name of Emmanuel Stickleberger. Is that a funny name? But it's out of print. You can find it maybe in your used book sources. It's probably my favorite because it's the first one I read about Calvin. And uh, he gives a description of Calvin through correspondence uh, with a duchess. And uh, Stickleberger writes, the letters to the duchess still preserved 
uh, would there, would, were there no other testimonies available, convey an excellent picture of the writer, Calvin. This man of God who, without regard for persons, judges, consoles, teaches, and warns, and, of the, and, and the, is the man who sympathizes, feels, and hopes for others. For this is the key to his tremendous power over other minds. He did not exalt himself above anyone, was shy by nature, was tender, sensitive. He lacked daring power and possessed a disinclination for everything which looked like tumult. Yet as soon as the honor of God was at stake, his spirit took on a victorious power. His speech remaining, uh, his speech reminding one of a prophet of the old covenant, perhaps a Micah. There are no denominations named after him. His burial place is unknown at his request. And yet among all the reformers, he has perhaps had as great or more significance than anyone else. In 1992, Douglas Kelly wrote a book titled The Emergence of Liberty in the Modern World, The Influence of Calvin on Five Governments from the 16th to the 18th Centuries. He impacted the world not only religiously, not only in terms of doctrine and writing, but he influenced it in very practical ways, uh, was uh, transforming in the life of Geneva, uh, as hopefully we'll get a chance to see. Uh, he wasn't uh, some kind of envision him, this brain, uh, this disembodied brain spewing out this huge amount of writing. Uh, he was a, a person and um, very much desiring to honor Christ and bless the church. And even his enemies would speak well of him. Uh, there was a Roman Catholic critic lived about a hundred years after Calvin. And he says this of him. As Calvin was endued with a lofty genius, we are constantly meeting with something in his commentaries which delights the mind. And in consequence of his intimate and perfect acquaintance with human nature, his ethics are truly charming. While he does his utmost to maintain their accordance with the sacred text. Had he been less under the influence of prejudice, and had he not been solicitous to become the leader and standard bearer of heresy, he might have proclaimed, uh, uh, produced a work of the greatest usefulness to the Catholic Church. So he gets his digs in, but at the same time, he has to commend him. Uh, and then a fellow by the name of Jacob Arminius, no friend of Calvinism, lived about 50 years after Calvin. Uh, he says... Next to the study of the scriptures, which I earnestly inculcate, I exhort my pupils to peruse Calvin's commentaries. For I affirm that Calvin excels beyond comparison in the interpretation of scripture, and that his commentaries ought to be more highly valued than all that is handed down to us uh, by the library of the fathers. So even those who would not be his friends had to acknowledge the great giftedness of this man. Well, what do we know of his life? Well, let me try to give you a little bit. He was born in a little town in France, about 60 miles from uh, Paris, Noyon, France, in 1509. Uh, Luther was 25 years old at that time. So Calvin, you could say, is one of the second generation reformers. Uh, his 
father was not wealthy. He worked for the church. And, uh, but he could see the giftedness in, uh, in his son. And so just as Luther's father saw the giftedness in, in Luther, uh, same as John Calvin's father saw he was a very gifted child and um, had plans for him. He kind of governed his or tried to govern his future. Calvin experienced grief at a very young age. His mother died when he was very young. He had two uh, siblings uh, die uh, when he was a very when he was just a little boy. Uh, he had two other brothers and two sisters, a couple of which accompanied him to Geneva when he met, went there. Uh, but his father, seeing his giftedness, uh, decided for, he should pursue law. So he went to Orleans, uh, France, and pursued the study of law. Calvin didn't want to do that, but it, out of respect for his father, he went ahead and studied law. And uh, then when his father passed away, he quit the study of law and did what he really wanted to do, which was to pursue a renaissance education. That was the rage at that time, the recovery of all the ancient documents. And one of the classic signs of being a renaissance scholar is to write a scholarly commentary on an ancient document. And so John Calvin wrote, uh, there was an ancient document uh, written by the Roman philosopher Seneca called De Clementia of Mercy. And Calvin wrote an extremely scholarly commentary on that document. And it basically was ignored. I mean, who wants to pay attention to that? You wouldn't want to read the original thing, let alone a commentary on it. But it showed his ability and his, 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 the strength of his uh, intelligence and study. He worked very hard at his studies. He burned the midnight oil. He denied himself food and, and sleep. And it created a lot of health problems for him later on. Uh, but at this time in his encounter with Reformation thinking, he was very opposed to it. He refused it, wouldn't have anything to do with it until sometime between October 1533 and November 1533, God uh, wonderfully converted him. Uh, he, he was 24 years old and in his commentary to the, to the Psalms, he loved the Psalms like Luther in his commentary to the Psalms, he uh, described his conversion. Calvin really didn't talk about him very much. So this is kind of a rare instance. But he writes, God, by the, the secret guidance of his providence, at length gave a different direction to my course. As I was too obstinately devoted to the superstition of popery to be easily extricated from <clears throat> so pro profound an abyss... God, by a sudden conversion, subdued and brought my mind to a teachable frame. Uh, and so he continued to pursue his studies, uh, obviously reading more in the Reformation teachings. But we need to get him to Geneva. How did he get there? Well, uh, at 1533, in that November, he helped a friend, Nicholas Kopp, write a sermon to be preached and it was full of Reformation doctrine. And they knew that Nicholas preached it, but Calvin, they knew Calvin helped him write it. 
Well, the authorities were furious. And they sent soldiers to arrest them. And so both of them had to flee. And Calvin was lowered out of his bedroom window uh, by sheets, and he fled. And he traveled from place to place, ended up for a little while in Basel, Switzerland. And in 1536, so this is three years later, he writes the first edition of the Institutes of the Christian Religion. They were only six chapters there. They will grow to 80 by the end of his life. Uh, But the thing about the Institutes is they uh, were a tremendous uh, illustration of the organization of his mind. Uh, John Calvin was one of those rare people. He could see all the pieces to the puzzle all at once. And so as he's writing commentaries, in his commentary, he might, when he's encountering a doctrine, say, see my institutes. And when you're reading the institutes and you come to a passage and he might say, well, see the exegesis of that in that commentary. And he could see the whole picture very well. And he was only 27 years old when he wrote all this. And the amazing thing about the institutes is he never to the end of his life, had to retract a single sentence. And when I think of myself at 27, I'm just really ashamed. You know, it's very humiliating. I wasn't anywhere close to anything like that. So he travels from Basel, and he makes his way. His his goal was to get to Strasbourg, Germany, because he wanted to have a a, a retirement. A, a quiet time where he could do writing and re- reading and writing and study. And uh, as he's going to make his way there, uh, there are, there's fighting going on between him and Strasbourg. And so he has to take a detour through Geneva. And this is where you see the sovereignty of God who orchestrates the affairs of nations so that one of his children can be in the right place at the right time. And he goes to Geneva, and Calvin's plan is to spend one night there. That's it. And then he's moving on. Well, in Geneva, there's a fellow by the name of William Farrell. Uh, he was one of the leading founders of the Reformation in Geneva, had done a lot of work to promote it. He was a fiery kind of person. He had this fiery red beard. Uh, They called him the Elijah of the Reformation. Uh, He was a prophetic kind of person. And at any rate, a friend of William Farrell told him, hey, the writer of the Institutes is here in Geneva. Here in Geneva? And so Farrell went and and found where he was staying. And Farrell was uh, smart enough to know his his, uh, weaknesses, to know what he couldn't do. And he knew he could preach, and he knew, knew he could present the gospel, but he knew he couldn't organize. And he needed help, and here was the man who could help him do that. And so he meets with Calvin in his room that night, and he comes to Calvin, and he says, you're the man we need. You need to stay here in Geneva. And Calvin said, oh, no, no, I'm not staying here. I'm on my way to Strasbourg. I need to go somewhere where I can have a a retired life and read and study and write. And there was this battle of wills that went on for a long time in that room that evening. And finally, 
Pharrell had had enough. And he stood up, probably pointing his finger at Calvin and says, in the name of Almighty God, may God curse your rest. May God curse your work. Well, Calvin was terrified. He was thunderstruck. He saw in the thundering and heard in the thundering voice of William Farrell the voice of God. And in a voice that was just barely a whisper, he said, I obey God. And so he stayed. He didn't want to stay, but he stayed in Geneva and they got busy about the um, work of the gospel and the building of the Reformation. And um, there was a lot of work to done and they got very busy with it. But early on in his time in Geneva, Calvin's true gifts became uh, uh, uncovered. And this is actually my very favorite story of Calvin. So I want to take some time with it. A little while after he had arrived in Geneva, there was a debate in Lausanne, Switzerland. And Calvin and Farrell and another minister from Geneva, Verrett, went to participate in this debate or be a part of it. And they got there and there was the opposition against the Reformation and they were the defenders of it. And for three days, uh, Farrell and Verrett are doing their best to defend Reformation truth against the accusations that are thrown at them. And Calvin says nothing. Uh, He just stays silent. And you can just visualize it here. Pharrell's speaking and he's looking over at Calvin, probably giving him the dirty looks. And I can see him waving his arms like, you know, get up and say something. And he'll, Pharrell will rebuke him at evening. Why aren't you saying anything? And Calvin responded, well, you and Verrett know very well how to answer all the questions. Why should I interfere? And he was so frustrated, Pharrell was so frustrated, he says, It's such a shame that you have so much insight and knowledge and at the same time so much shyness. Well, on the fourth day, the topic of the Lord's Supper uh, came up. And one of the objectors to the reform view accused the reformers of holding the teachings of Augustine and the other uh, church fathers in low esteem. And it pretty much silenced Pharrell and Verrett. I mean, they were going to say something, but they didn't really have an answer. But then uh, Stickelberger describes it. <clears throat> he says, the young lector had risen, and in silent scorn he fastened his eye upon the accuser, who was looking about himself assured of triumph. Full of amazement, everyone stared at the young man. Now he began to speak. Honor to the Holy Church Fathers. He among us who does not know them better than you, let him beware lest he mention their names. Too bad that you are not more thoroughly read in them. Otherwise, certain references could be of benefit to you. Freely, without any manuscript before him, Calvin began to refute the opinions presented. And everyone listened attentively because all his arguments were taken exclusively from the church fathers. 
He quoted and expounded the opinion of Tertullian, added a homily ascribed to Chrysostom, quote, the 11th about in the middle. Then a passage from Augustine, and again quoting from the 23rd chapter toward the end. And he was not fini- yet finished with the presentation of proofs from the old Christian commentaries, the titles of which were not even familiar to those present, <clears throat> and all by heart. Followers of the old faith and the new held their breath as they listened to this unmatched scholarly presentation supported by... Um, got my pages out of order here. Supported by this marvelous memory. The opponent who earlier proclaimed his accusations with a voice of conviction felt himself shrinking as the small pale speaker directing his eye upon him continued with victorious expression. And here's the conclusion of Calvin. Judge for yourself whether your assertion is not audacious, that we are hostile to the church fathers. Admit that you hardly ever saw the covers of their works. If you and those who spoke before you had ever ever even leafed through them, you would have wisely remained silent. And he sat down. And even the common folks who didn't understand hardly a word that he said knew that something special had happened. And he silenced them. Well, they go back to Geneva. They're very uh, pursuing a ministry. Uh, of, of, uh, and they write a confession, a catechism, and a church discipline. Besides the regular preaching ministry and the organization of, of the effort, uh, they also wanted to institute church discipline because there are many uh, that were coming to church and taking part in the sacraments who were living ungod- notably ungodly lives. <clears throat> and it, you may think that Calvin's in control of everything. He is not. The Church Council of Geneva, they control everything, even the church. And um, they agreed, they said to Calvin and Pharrell, it's okay for you to exercise church discipline. But then when they started to exercise church discipline over those who were notable, the council said, oh no, it's going to stop here. Uh, You're not going to get them. And so they... um, refused to allow them to discipline those who had some notoriety in the town. And so Easter Sunday, 1538, is coming. And the council said, you are going to serve the Lord's Supper to all those who come. And Calvin and Pharrell said, no, we're not going to serve the Lord's Supper to all who come. In fact, they had decided they wouldn't serve the Lord's Supper at all. And so the council said to them, well, if you're not going to serve the Lord's Supper, we don't want you to even preach. Don't come. But Pharrell and Calvin planned on coming to preach. And that night was a very troubled night for Calvin. There were people all night beating on his door, screaming outside his house. And there were no less than 60 musket shots at his front door that night. But they entered the pulpit anyway. And the council came and forcibly uh, sent them and and exiled them uh, from the city of Geneva. They were sent on their way. And Calvin was ecstatic. 
He was so happy. He never wanted to be there to begin with. And now to be out of the place, it was just like the, the best thing that could possibly happen to him. And they went, he and Pharrell went to Strasbourg, <clears throat> which is where he wanted to be anyway. And he was ministering to the French refugees in that area. And then it happened not too long after Calvin and Pharrell had been sent away that Cardinal Sadoletto wrote a letter to the Genevan Council. <clears throat> and he thought, with Calvin out of the way, this would be a good time to try to get Geneva back into the fold of the, you know, the Roman Catholic fold. And so they wrote the council a letter. And so the Genevan Council is thinking, we've got to answer this letter because they didn't want uh, for the town to be turned back into a Roman Catholic province. So who are we going to get to write the letter? And they, the final conclusion was, well, we need to get Calvin to write the letter. And so with hat in hand, with some chagrin probably, they send a note to Calvin, which essentially said, you know, I know we threw you out um, not too long ago, but would you answer this letter for us? And I'm not sure if Calvin got a little sense of um, a pleasure in dealing with it, but he, 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 he wanted to do it. And so he wrote about a 20 to 30 page uh, treatise in defending the Reformation as the answer to Cardinal Sadoletto, Sadoletto. And he, it becomes one of his very significantly remembered <clears throat> pieces. Uh, Calvin, while he was in Strasbourg, married a widow, Idolette de Bure in 1540. And uh, but they had a fairly brief ma marriage, about nine years. And Idolette um, uh, and her first husband were Anabaptists, and Calvin had been able to convince them of the truths of the Reformed faith. But her first husband had passed away, and then they married. <clears throat> she came to the marriage with two children, uh, to their marriage with two children, and then they had a, an additional child, and all three died young. And Calvin again, shows us a bit of his heart in writing about the death of that child. It says, the Lord has dealt us a severe blow in taking from us our infant son, but it is our father who knows what is best for his children. So they continued to minister in the Strasbourg area, and <clears throat> about three years later, Geneva's politically, spiritually in a mess, and so they they write to Calvin and Pharrell and ask them to come back. And Calvin's answer, no, I'm not going back. And Pharrell does his normal thundering. And Calvin has to write to Pharrell. Uh, you know, obviously he's cowed back into it. And he says, you have been of unspeakable distress to me with your thundering and lightning. Is it necessary that you make me so bad and almost renounce our friendship? But my resistance is broken. I yield. I surrender. And it's not what he wanted to do. Calvin said, if I had a free choice, I would prefer to do anything else in the world than to do your will. But I know that I'm not my own master. And he's speaking to the Lord here. I offer my heart to the Lord in sacrifice. He, um, different 
reformers had different, we'd call them logos, seals. Calvin's seal is a, a, hand, a heart and a hand being lifted up to the Lord that represented uh, Calvin's uh, dedication to the Lord. And he'd have to endure fierce opposition. Um, again, you, you think Calvin would have control. He, they didn't even make him a citizen for 18 years. Here he's serving the town, and there he's not even a citizen. And the council, the council is the one that had control, and they had to work within it. Um, let me quickly, hang on just a little longer. I want to quickly, the one black mark on Calvin, Calvin's life that everybody brings up is the execution of the heretic Servetus, Michael Servetus. And... Uh, in a sense, it is a dark mark, but we, most people who are critical don't understand a lot of significant truths. One is Servetus was a virulent anti-Trinitarian. Uh, he opposed the doctrine of the Trinity, and Calvin had, some years ago, tried to convince him he is wrong. They had an interchange. Apparently, at one time, he had visited Geneva and had been expelled and warned never to come back. And uh, Calvin had specifically told him, don't come to Geneva, because if you come to Geneva, you will be identified as a heretic and more than likely executed. He knew not to come. And Servetus, because of his views, he'd been condemned by the Roman Catholic Inquisition. He, had been t- he was a wanted man in every civil authority in the, in the region. Anywhere he went, he would have been executed. But maybe... He thought Calvin was weak, and so uh, he, in his arrogance, he came back to Geneva. He was imprisoned and tried for heresy and found guilty. Calvin pled for a less painful death than burning at the stake, which was typical for heretics, but the council wouldn't listen to him. Um, he... Um, uh, pled for hanging or maybe being beheaded, a quick, less painful death. <clears throat> um, but the council wouldn't listen to him. And the, the attitude, not only, it's not just, it's just of Calvin, he thought heresy was a problem. But in that day, heresy was considered a, a serious threat to the health of society and needed to be dealt with. You know, we might not share that view, but that was the view shared at them. After Servetus was convicted, Calvin alone, one of Calvin was one of the only ones that went to still visit him in prison. To the very end of his life, Calvin was pleading with him to, to repent. And uh, the council carried on their execution. Uh, it, there were, was violence in that day, it's just as in our own recent centuries, there's violence in our world. But um, I think Calvin, there are a lot of factors that lessen the um, black mark that it is on Calvin. Well, how, to sum up, he was a hard worker. He certainly was a human. He suffered physically. He called his physical condition a constant death. He suffered from continual headaches, insomnia, indigestion, gallstones, kidney stones, arthritis. Uh, He 
wrote one time about having a terrible bout with kidney stones to a friend, and he said the doctor recommended that he take a horseback ride to kind of shake the kidney stones loose. And he said, but I couldn't do it because my hemorrhoids wouldn't allow me to do that. (laughs) He knew grief. He wasn't universally respected. Uh, The people of the town called their, named their dogs Calvin. Uh, They rejected his preaching. Uh, One would say, I would rather hear three dogs barking than to hear Calvin preach. Another would say, hell has two devils. And they'd point to Calvin and say, there's one of them. So it's not as though he had a, uh, a pleasant time or a bed of roses. He was mar- mocked and persecuted, and yet he continued to work. Uh, he was humble. He never became wealthy. In fact, Cardinal Sadaletto came to Geneva incognito one time, <clears throat> and he found... Calvin in this very humble dwelling and was amazed that this one whose writings were known throughout Europe would be living in such a a humble way. But in spite of all of this, he influenced the world. He transformed Geneva, not only by the preaching of the gospel, but in many other ways. And in these ways, he, he transformed the world. He transformed the economy, helped to create new industries, new places of work in in Geneva. He was the head of schools, helped improve the education of the children in Geneva. He continuously confronted the magistrates with their responsibility to govern under the rule of God. Uh, He was very ahead of his time in promoting health, Uh, He worked at the establishment of hospitals and the employment of doctors and the promotion of public sanitation and the collection of trash. And Calvinism is often misnamed as uh, not being interested in, in, in evangelism, but from Geneva went dozens, if not hundreds of missionaries, not only throughout Europe, but uh, far, far along, far flung parts of the world. Uh, It was Calvin that uh, was a um, significant portion of the development of all these things. And again, we don't worship him. We don't honor him. It's God that gets all the honor for using such a a man to accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. And it's not extraordinary men God uses or women that God uses. It's ordinary People who are willing to give point to an extraordinary Christ and be a light to Christ that is the cause of the the glory of God in our world. So may you and I give thanks to God for this person that God used and commit ourselves to be the servants. May we may our logo be as well a hand held heavenward with our heart in it to give our devotion to the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, so much for the, uh, the those that you have sent before us to give us a great inheritance of faith and courage and strength. 
that they loved you more than life itself. May we, O oh Father, give our hearts to you and serve you with all that is in us, that you might be the one, the light that, that people see. And we ask all this for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.